Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm Kara Goodwin, and this episode is a recording of a live-streamed webinar that Michael Massey and I did on the Conscious Awakening Network on April 18th. We've done this a few times, and it's so fun to record these episodes with people listening and participating. If you'd like to be notified when we have these opportunities, be sure to go to karagoodwin.com and sign up for the newsletter or grab your free meditation on the homepage, and that will get you added to the list as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at kara underscore goodwin underscore meditation and learn about these opportunities. I'll be doing live streams with Can at least once a month with different guests including Michael, but others as well. So stay in the know and join in. And in this episode, we are focused on the ego. We talk about the important interplay between the ego and the soul, and most importantly, how to tell which one is driving our actions and what the repercussions are. We've had some really wonderful feedback from participants of the webinar, so I know you're really going to get a lot out of Michael's wisdom. And before I start, I want to invite you to check out my sponsors at TheMeditationConversation.com. I'd love for you to explore best-made homeopathic remedies. My son wasn't feeling well last week, and I took a couple of remedies from my best-made homeopathic first aid kit package, and it really seemed to help him get through the worst of it. What I love about homeopathy is how it works with the chemistry of the body in a natural way. They have remedies for all sorts of issues, and you can get lots of great wellness insights and ideas on their website, bestmadenaturalproducts.com. So use code CARA 10% for 10% off your order. And now enjoy this episode. So please, Michael, okay. introduce yourself. All right. I am an engineer, entrepreneur, and, and mythic, if you will. I have a background, graduated from Rose Holman over in Terre Haute, degree in mechanical engineering, and spent about 10 plus years or so in working in telecommunications, built my own software company in Los Angeles, doing developing infrastructure for video games. And, and then about 12 years ago or so, my life took a radically different direction and incidentally, crises can certainly be the catalyst for that. And I took a new path into shamanism. I got into the studying the healing art and expansion of consciousness, et cetera, et cetera. And that's been my primary focus for the last, you know, 10, 12 years. Of course, I can't get away from my roots as being an engineer. And so I I love like who I am now, if you will, <laughs> and in that I try to bring a blend of science and spirituality together, and I help to kind of bridge these these two kind of spheres. Beautiful, thank you. All right, well, that was a beautiful introduction, and I just reiterate what you mentioned about that blending and that bridging of those two worlds, because I know that. In the time that I've known you, that's just helped immensely to be able to take some of these concepts, some of the things that we hear a lot about in the spiritual community, like energy and frequency and vibration, and even things to do with more of the quantum side with timelines and so forth, and 
how these have like a where science is with some of these things now. And uh, sometimes I get lost with some of the things, some of the places that you take things when you start talking about phi and things like that. <laughs> but it's still really fun and exciting. So, well, we wanted to talk about the ego today and the role of the ego and how this contributes to our experience as we're going through these changing times and the challenges that come with these times. So, Michael, let me hand it over to you. Can you talk a little bit? Let's just do a baseline kind of overview of the client climate, like where we find ourselves. Maybe somebody's watching this recording in two years. And what are times like right now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. If we kind of go back, well, let's see, not two years, but really you go back three years or four, three years, let's say, just to the pre-pandemic. Could we have forecast or would we have any dream about how much life might have changed in three years? I know, and right? I was thinking like, I feel when I look back at myself from pre-pandemic, I feel like, oh, look, she's so innocent. Oh, look, it's like... <laughs> man, you're yeah. about to just go through a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like that for humanity, that we all just like, oh, remember that? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, so about, I'd say it was about, I don't know, about eight years ago, I started getting into, I started getting into the genetics and studying that and working with some technologies involving magnetics and how that relates to geomagnetics, the magnetic field of the earth. And so it's just kind of the, an overall kind of context is we have the magnetic field of the earth, which happens to be in a collapsing state right now. And, and then where we are in terms of this collapsing field, which is generally a, a precursor sign to what's called a, a magnetic pole flip as this is happening. And then we have a combination of that with, with our solar cycle is basically at a very physical level is increasing the amount of energy that the planet is absorbing. And consequently, that is actually, we as residents of this planet are absorbing just by being here and living here. And this is coupled with some cycles from various different planes of existence, spiritual planes, etheric planes, where we see this convergence of all these patterns that, that are coming together to just increase and accelerate the, the amount of energy that we have available to us, whether we like it or not. And so this overall uptick has created an amplification of things. So for instance, we're experiencing this really at a, it individually and collectively particularly at an emotional level where it's not like feelings of hatred that is, that's not new, but those feelings could be really amplified these days. And, and so this, then that creates people acting based on those emotions. And so hence we end up with school shootings and some racial atrocities and then, and, or what you call simple things, but I know like incidences of road rage or off the charts, things like that. Um, 
So we have this overall amplification and that's on, on the, the negative side. And, but on the positive side where there's more people right now have stepped onto this path of conscious awakening than you know, we have ever seen in recorded history. And, and more and more people are finding and experiencing peak states of love and bliss that, and that's on the positive side. So there's both of these things that are actually amplifying. And then we're seeing this just kind of across the board and it's creating this really like intense polarities or dualities. And, and, and yeah, we got to. Oh yeah. Of, yeah, of course we got a comment coming in about, uh, yeah, the media is inclined to, to manipulate or to, and to further amplify this, this polarity. And we even see it. Some of this is that you might be intended and some of it isn't even necessarily intended. It just seems to be a natural output of, uh, today's basically social media and you have this various different algorithms. So. The content algorithms that we're dealing with in terms of what we gain our information, those algorithms quickly determine, are you a liberal or are you conservative? And then it's going to keep on serving up more of that content of whatever your inclination is. And so you get more and more of that and less of any kind of opposing views is into your, in, into the content feed. And so what's happening is it's just taking people further and further apart because they're not seeing both sides of issues. And this is creating a stratification there that's also is unprecedented and really could only be facilitated in today's modern information age. So all of these factors are coming together in order to, to create a climate or period of time here where we're trying to figure our way through it. And during this transition period, it be quite chaotic and it's very difficult to determine what's real and what's true and what's really happening because there's so much uh, that's placed on the information and that we're receiving and being fed on a daily basis. Now, this is, so this is the, this is basically the overall climate that we're right now. And this notion of going like, okay, well, what, what's real and what's not, and it's kind of at the root of this cognitive dissonance that we're experiencing as a collective, because we, we don't know who we are and and I'm, again, I'm speaking at a kind of a collective level. And so now the question of who am I is, this is an age old question and it's, it's been pondered by philosophers and theologians and artists and writers for centuries and millennia. And it's a fundamental question because this has to do with our, our sense of ourselves in the, the, who am I? And the answer to that, that's the great mystery. And I think hopefully by towards the end of this, uh, our little gathering here, I'll 
offer a little bit more of that. Okay, so that's basically, and I don't think that when I'm talking about this, I imagine that just about everybody who's listening can, can relate to these can be very chaotic times. And certainly this is affecting a great deal of people with, with mental, their mental health and their overall sense of wellness. And this is a challenge that we're facing as a people. And I know yeah, that it, go ahead. sorry, sorry, Michael, I just, it's interesting to take that from like the collective perspective, because we do see this with some chaos that's happening that gets reported. And then there's also the collective is also made up of individuals. And then there's the individual experience too. And I know that a lot of people are having like just unexpected things happen and are having like a lot of turmoil or chaos happening in their lives too. So it's kind of like that collective and individual piece. And even if we're not seeing it, if we're not paying attention to the news or whatever, we might be feeling it in our own lives or our loved ones' lives where, again, that innocence, you go, like maybe you go back to like three weeks ago or the beginning of the year or this time last year. And it's like, oh, look at how innocent, naive and peaceful and blah, blah, blah <laughs> life was. We were just running around in daisy fields. And now where are we with that type of thing? So people may be seeing that also reflected at the individual level. For sure. For sure. Okay. So that's our, that's our context, our backdrop that we're kind of referring to. And now we want to hone in a little bit on, onto the ego itself and, and Let's start with this question of, of what is the ego anyway? Carrie, you want to answer that? Well, I think of the ego as like the little human temporary self. Okay. All right. That's like a good way to look at it. And so we have what we call the ego. Now, the ego itself is, I tend to to prefer to use the term personality self just because it's a little more neutral when we tend to because the, the ego it has kind of a negative connotation to it and there's we say oh somebody's just full, full of ego and the thing is like having a large personality is different than having, let's say, a wounded personality. So most of the time when we encounter somebody where we would describe them as having a large ego, we're really saying is that they actually have a, like a wounded ego. And so this kind of why I just use the term personality self, because it seems to, so we can differentiate then between what we would, what I would call the soul self and the personality self. And in other ways of describing this would be the lower self and the higher self. That's those again, are labels and, or you can go with the ego and the super ego. These are all different words that are an attempt to create a model or an understanding of uh, who we are now. So the, the important thing to understand about 
what the ego actually, its personality self is a construct. And so this construct is actually formed over a lifetime. We, we make, we come into this world as a soul. And then we actually, over the course of years, we, we build up a, this personality self and so the important thing to understand is that this is something that is built and is constructed through a variety of both individual choices and then experiences. And as things actually happen to us and we, we process those and then those fold in and they become part of our personality though. Now, but this is something that, that is built over a lifetime constructed. So is it who we actually are or is it something that we have? And I'm reminded of, you know, that, see, if I were to ask you, for example, Kara, are you a human? I feel like you're tricking me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, alert, no. Alert, alert, <laughs> alert. I do have a human aspect. Okay. So, well, most people, what happens is we identify, we identify, as soon as we go, okay, we include ourselves as having the label of human, right? Then we would say, okay, I'm human, right? This is now the funny thing about it is, so as we make that statement, we're actually identifying as this, as this human. But what we really, the truth of who we really are is a soul. Would you say that a soul, the souls are intrinsically human or would you say that consciousness is human? No. No. So if we are actually, if we are actually a consciousness that comes into the body, there's not, it's not like that consciousness is intrinsically human. It's not made of human. It's something that then is inhabiting a human form. And in the, there was a movie, it was a remake of, I think, 1950s classic. And it, it came out, I don't know, about 15 years ago. So it's called The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves is a, he's an extraterrestrial that it, basically come to earth to evaluate humanity on whether or not he should be destroyed or saved. And when he arrived, he's whisked away by, by the government and they're interrogating him in this room and they ask him, are you human? And he says, my body is. And then, do you feel pain? My body does. And so we have here is kind of an example of what a heightened self-aware consciousness, its point of perspective on how it views itself within the body and it understands that the human body and everything that comes along with it, which includes the emotional body, the mental body, et cetera, is something that, that it has, not something that it is. That that's really powerful. Like just thinking about, I think you said that the human body, it's the, 
the soul is did you the soul is encased in the body or the soul is inhabiting that's what you said yeah soul is inhabiting the body and then that soul awareness the perspective of the soul and that there yeah there's an aspect that is the human that is related thank you for that because that's reframing i love looking at it from that perspective right right and to go okay well the soul itself consciousness itself isn't is not intrinsically human right but that doesn't mean it would necessarily make sense to to say that i'm not human right and this would be because, well, it's actually the way that Keanu read his point of perspective, my body. Is. So there's, it's the acknowledgement. It's not trying to separate what stuff. Oh, I'm not human. I'm something else. Right now to, to embrace and inhabit and go, okay, well, I'm here in human form. And it's that point of perspective that is what kind of opens these doors. So just by these entertaining, these very subtle thoughts, what we're doing is kind of opening up little windows for us to shift our awareness of self off of the, the ego or personality self and into the soul self. And the soul self is who we are from, from the day we're born till the day we die and beyond in both directions. And so incidentally, what is now you could say that the soul self is consciousness and that consciousness exists within a larger ocean of consciousness. And some analogies in, include like the soul is like you take a cup of, of water out of the ocean. You have basically the ocean in a cup. It still has all the attributes of the ocean, but it's not the entire ocean. And so the soul itself is when we come in to this world, what we do is we're, we're just as a soul self, we are absolute, we're connected to everything to all every the whole universe we're connected to and we can feel that connection and there's no sense of separation between oneself and this greater ocean it's like the cup of water that when it's still in the ocean that there's very little boundaries it just it's just an open connection and then as we construct the ego, it, it is, that is like actually the cup that we're now cupping out the ocean. And what the way that it, this works is that the ego it, itself is built by creating separation. And so we begin as an infant, we just feel connected to everything around us. And then as we form this personality self, what we're doing is we're moving things, this 
everything connected. And then we're creating discrete states of this is this and this is that. I am me and this is a coffee mug and these two are separate. And so this construct is actually is layering in separation between ourselves, others, and the world around us such that we can interact with things as them being separate. And so over the course of time, what we're basically doing is as the ego grows, it turns off its connection to the rest of the universe in favor of seeing it as something else. And this itself isn't necessarily real. It's not the truth of the whole of the universe is all connected. It's actually an individualized experience of all that is through a lens of separation. And that's just functionally what the ego does. And it's that lens that that actually separate. I love that analogy of the having the cup of ocean. And the one thing I do want to correct is that you said that the cup of ocean water has all the attributes of the ocean, but there are no sharks. Wow. The cup. So I'm right. <laughs> very teeny little sharks. You don't know. Maybe seahorses. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that does really make sense. And that's really powerful of being that, being part of the ocean. And so is there, are there ways that we can help to strengthen our connection back to the ocean in that Metaphor? Yeah, actually, you just blow the ego up and you'd be done with it. Okay, and then how do we function as humans in that case? <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. And next to, it's not impossible, but it's darn near it to function without an ego. So this is one of the things too. So we, and in the past, the old school mystery schools and things that involve really these really kind of harsh techniques called ego squashing and which and the idea was to obliterate destroy the ego now i've i've tried to do this many times it's challenging and it's ultimately not sustainable so one of the things it's i and then my approach is ultimately is like okay what we want to do here is we want to to what happens is, to, in what we're about to talk about is we take the cup of water out of the ocean is to be careful that we don't identify as being the cup. That's where the issue tends to arise, and this will lead to suffering. Is you actually take a cup out of the ocean. You're actually, you're the, you're the ocean water in the cup not the physical cup and that's where the little switch and the brain it, 
get mixed up when it starts identifying thinking that it's the cup. And then at that point, then how connected is the cup? It fell to the ocean. It's not even of the same matter. It's not of the same asset. And so it's the over-identification with the personality self that is the real issue. And when we're able to liberate ourselves from identification with the personality self, that's when our breakthrough moment occurs. That's when we remember who we really are. Oh, I'm the ocean in this cup and that I'm part of this bigger ocean. And that's what reestablishes the connection. And it's through connection that we actually feel alive. And connection itself, that's the solution to all of our mental illness and whatnot. It's our ability to connect. And when we feel connected, everything else starts to just take care of itself. So one of the ways that we can do this from like a, in a, in a practice within our own meditation, you, particularly when we're meditating, is you take your quiet moment side and, and then you got your thought swirling around in your head and you may have different techniques and tactics of quieting and silencing the mind is to ask yourself that question we have thoughts running in our head is am i the who am i in this equation am i the one that's having the thought am i the one that's listening to the thought because most of the time now everybody's there's a little bit of variance and difference in how people's internal mental dialogue goes but if I know, at least for myself, most of the thoughts that I'm having, there's a verbal narrative associated to it, and it's in my voice. But is that, am I the one that's speaking, or am I the one that's listening? And once he can understand that it is a soul self that is the one that is listening, and it is the ego or personality self that is talking, and that's our own internal dialogue that we're having with ourselves. And so when the one that's talking, one of the things that I've learned to do is that if I didn't feel good about what is being said, then it's like I just changing the channel. It's like, okay, keep talking until you say something that I agree with. That's what's coming from the soul. Okay. I'm like, okay. I've all right, keep saying the same thing again. I don't, that doesn't feel right to me. And I just keep cycling through different thoughts until actually, till my ego self actually said something that's actually really true. And then as soon as that happened, I feel it all the way through and I feel connected again. And I would go, okay, now what we've just done is we've taken this personality self, we put it into its proper place it doesn't get to dictate how things are 
what I wanted to do is to actually to is to conform to the truth of who we are. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Like cycling through and then <laughs> when's there a hit that yeah. the higher self exactly. is being and expressed just... through those thoughts. Yep. You just keep cycling, cycling through. You go next, 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 next. Just keep going until, I mean, it's kind of a brute force kind of approach to, to reprogramming the ego or modifying the construct of it, but it does work. It does work. Well, there's one thing that comes to mind with this, which would be the, so this spiritual bypassing. Okay, so we have the identification with ourselves as a human. We have the identification with ourselves as spirit. And there can be this tendency when we do start to identify more with the soul of denying the human trials, the human feelings, the human um, the lower things that we go through and it's like a nope nope I'm a soul I'm not affected I I don't feel that way or whatever and of course it's also important that we are authentic and that we have this human experience and that we do allow allow ourselves to express our or to let those feelings run through us or whatever it is there's a there can be a tendency to deny the human experience. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Okay. And it, and I think it's a good segue into something that I wanted to talk about in terms of the particular aspect of the personality. So, okay. So what we have is the situation that you're describing is like, okay, well, I have through introspection and I've looked into my inner world. And I've found the truth within my inner world of who I am. Okay. So that's the inner world experience. And then we have, but we also have this, we have an ex, there is an external world all around us. Right. And so what, what resides between the, the inner self, right. And the outer world, so inner world, outer world. And then that ego is the lens or the filter by which we're experiencing the outer world. And so what the situation you're describing is a situation where we go, oh, I don't want to look out at the world. I just want to look in because that makes sense to me and it's all hunky-dory. And when I look out into the world, it doesn't match. So my outer world doesn't match my inner world. And that's because of the lens, uh, the filter. And so in this situation, that would be the denial. Like, I just want to stay inwardly focused and I don't want to pay any attention to the out, outside world because it doesn't look like my inner world. And then that creates a cognitive dissonance in my own mind. Now, so that would be, that's a different situation than Imagine you've actually 
em- embrace this filter, understand what it is, begin to love and appreciate it for what it is. And as such, we can then basically, we say, clean up that lens and we can r- remove the smudges from it and we can polish it and we can fix any blemishes that are in it that are creating distortions. And as we do this, then imagine coming to the sublime state where the inner or inner world experience actually does match the world around us. And that's when we, that, that's when you're in a very solid state of being and the experience of life from there can be nothing but awesome. So it's only the, it's only this, uh, the discord that exists between what we actually witness in the outside world and then what we perceive in our inner world. And when those things are out of alignment, then what happens is it creates a sense of a baseline of anxiety. And we say, okay, and it, Somehow what happens is we feel powerless because it doesn't matter how we might feel good on the inside, but where that has no bearing or impact on our external world or vice versa, then we feel disconnected and we feel powerless. Mm-hmm. And that leads that, and that is felt and it's kind of its baseline is felt as a sense of, of instability and therefore it, it triggers this anxiety. And now so many people would just take in anxiety as almost as that's just a, that's just the way it is. You just, just accepting that everyone just got to cope with this, this perpetual state of anxiety. It doesn't need to be like that. It certainly wasn't originally, it's not like that's the. The human blueprint or something. No, I. No, certainly not. So what happens when this baseline anxiety? Now, if you actually couple anxiety or there's actually kind of three factors and if these three factors all come together, this is where this is the, like the dark pit of despair. And it's, if you have a, a basic anxiety and then, then the other thing that to know is that we all have this component of our personality self, of the ego self, which I would refer to the critic, the critic, or the, some folks might call it the judge. Now the critic has like, it was like original purpose was to let you know when you drew colored outside the line so that you could, you could improve that the next time. That's about what the critic was for. But what happens is that the critic is in so many people, like the, is the aspect of the personality self that's moved its way into the driver's seat. And what happens when that critic is overblown, it's a bugger bear and it has two effects. You see, the thing is when you're being really self-critical and beating yourself with, and I think of just about every human, I would think, I mean, it's at least familiar with this really negative self-talk. And what the critic is, ah, I can't believe you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Whatever. And it just keeps on clubbing you over and over again. And that is, 
So that's the critic and that can be really painful. And it becomes particularly painful if it, if also there's a traumatic memory that's in play. So if you have anxiety and then a critic, and then also there's a trauma, then that means that you have a baseline anxiety and then you make a mistake. The critic goes bonkers, starts beating yourself up, but it's not just beating you up with that incident of making a mistake. It's also triggering a memory of all the times in your life where you've made a horrendous mistake or something like that. That you're getting super clubbed. And this is what gets people, this is what can get so painful and madness in the mind that it'll drive, it literally drives people to suicide. And so it's so painful that the quick fix tends to be just, okay, it's to take that critic and go, um, and just to turn it outwards. And now it'd be like, okay, I, it's too painful for me to criticize myself, but I can't seem to control this critic. So I'm just going to point it a different direction. And if you point the camera out, now they become super critical of everyone else. Whoa. Yeah. 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 And what happens is if somebody's super critical of everyone else, they will, they were going to fight to defend it because what they're afraid of is somehow getting that triggered where, and all of a sudden that critic turns around and it points back at them. And that's such a terrified thought that will send them in such a pitfall of despair that, yeah, that they just try to keep that camera focused externally. That's fascinating. And, that, and it's really, I was just reflecting on this morning, actually, because last week I had one, one particular day that was just a really t- difficult day with just, it was almost comical, like how bad this day was and unusual in that way, too. But by the end of the day, I was like, this day is terrible. And I was like going through the day trying to find more things to support my case than the mm-hmm. obvious things that had happened that were bad. But I, I was like, I know other things happened, right, that were bad. And I got into this cycle of like trying to even make it worse. Like, I don't know what I was doing, but I was like, wanted to support my case <laughs> just within myself, not needing external validation. But I was like kind of curious about this pattern of what else, wondering like what's going on in the stars? What else am I seeing that's popping up? And then I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I trying to make things worse? Like, what am I trying to prove to myself? But it can be, a, I guess, kind of addictive or something to to let that ego just like, yeah, you just have at it. Or the critic, sorry. You know, <laughs> you take over. <laughs> oh my goodness, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I've been thinking about this lately a lot. And um, it's just like, okay, it's just really time that we need to fire the critic from the driver's duty, at least. You know, you know what? We're revoking your license. You're not allowed to be in the driver's seat anymore. And we got a nice spot for you back in the trunk (laughs) until we have a job for you to do. And until then, yeah. And 
Now, this is the thing, and we're coming back to like that baseline anxiety and why that's all present there, et cetera. It's because the personality itself is never really meant, it, it's not meant to be in the driver's seat of the vehicle. It, and it doesn't want to, it thinks it does, but it's like a, it's like a five-year-old behind the wheel of a car. And it's much, you know, and kids, they want to drive a car because like to them, it's a big, cool toy, but very quickly they'll get overwhelmed and scared. So really what the personality self wants is it wants to go on a great ride. And it is the soul that is able to provide that. And once we understand this, we go, oh, okay, is okay, we can embrace our personality self like we would a child and go, hey, we know what you want and you don't have to provide it and you can be free of all that responsibility and we actually, we got a great place for you where you can enjoy the ride and be a part of it without the the struggles of trying to run the show. And the only way that it, that the ego personality itself can run the show is through control. And so it keeps trying to get more and more control because it's trying to, it's trying to control the external world so that it can match the inner, but it can't, it doesn't have any control over the external world. It thinks it does, but it doesn't ultimately. And so this said, okay, well, how do we work with, how do, what do we really do? And what do we give the personality? What do we give it to, to be able to identify with? And there's many roles. We said many aspects to the personality self. We talked about the critic, but there's other parts of this construct. I'm a mother, I'm a father, brother, sister, teacher, student, et cetera, et cetera. And it's to understand what first and foremost of what the, what is our sense of self and who are we coming back to that original question? And there is one, there's one thing that we can identify with that brings peace between the ego and the soul self, something that they can agree on together. And that's to know that to be able to say that I am a child of God and you are a child of God and we are the children of God. Now, if you prefer I'm child of the universe or children of the universe, but this is the essence. This is the one safe place for the personality self for the ego that will not put it in conflict with the soul. And when we do that, our inner world will begin to match our outer world. And this is something that we all know every, just every single one of us, it's hopefully, or before their life is over, they will experience this because we have a word in our language that describes when our inner and outer world are actually in harmony and they match and we call it love.
That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael. Oh, you're welcome. Joy to be here and share this with you. And we could go on for hours and hours on this topic. It's a rich and deep one, but hopefully we've been able to give everybody a nugget or two or something that's going to help them on their journey as we go through these times together. Absolutely. This has really been so beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, uh, a lot of really great takeaways and perspectives and in how to relate to ourselves from a higher perspective. And I think that will, I know speaking for myself, again, mentioning that there has, I've just had my own issues coming up in the last week or so. And that has definitely been a big part of the, the, the moving through the gunk is just, okay, this is a temporary human experience and tapping into like, who am I really? And trying to keep that higher perspective of, okay, I am a soul in a body and I'm here to have experiences and there, there must be something in here for me, whether it's lessons or experience or whatever it is, but trusting that there's purpose in the hard times and, and keeping that perspective. So everything you've said today really helps to kind of strengthen that perspective. Yeah. You bet. All right. Blessings to each and every one. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for everybody who's joining, who has joined. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to ask you for one quick favor, and that's to share this episode with one person who you think will benefit from it. Let them know you're thinking about them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.